0: I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole Hmm? I can see it in your eyes I'm trying to free your mind Nia. you take the red pill you stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes remember all I'm offering is the truth i want the truth you can't handle the truth What truth that you are a slave in you trying to understand this 20 year olds fall in and out of love more often than they change their oil filters which they should do more often i didn't see the light until i was already a man you have to let it all go you know? fear doubt disbelief. free your mind it doesn't matter who we are no one cared who i was till i put on the mask how do you define real you stay in wonderland and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes after this there is no turning back are we clear crystal So about six months ago, uh, one of my friends tried setting me up with someone. Uh, She was going through a divorce and was wanting to date. This is like back in, uh, that's before Christmas, probably uh, Thanksgiving, early December, somewhere in there. So I texted with her uh, for a few weeks. Uh, We never actually hung out or anything like that. We just kind of texted back and forth here and there. Uh, She ended up telling me that she decided to try and work things out with her husband. I was like, okay. And I deleted her number, and we stopped talking. I figured, hey, whatever. You do you. That's You're still married, and I guess you made a decision that you now don't want to get divorced, so I'm not going to get in the way of that. So I just deleted her number, and we stopped talking. And that was that. Uh, like I said, that was like before Christmas. I haven't spoken to her since. Well, last night, uh, the same friend of mine texts me out of the blue, and says that uh, she's going to try and set us up again. I guess uh, this girl actually did end up getting divorced, and the whole trying to work it out thing uh, lasted for a few days, and then they ended up pulling the pin, and they got divorced. So I don't know what happened there. Not my business. Like I said, I had never met the girl. But um, my friend tells me, hey, I'm trying to set you guys up again because she's single. She actually did get divorced. She's no longer with him at all. And she's actually uh, interested in at least trying to date or, it, you know, at the very least hang out with someone or meet some people. Uh, so this friend tells me to come hang out and, uh, and meet her, see how, see, how, see if you guys click or whatever, come hang out for a little bit. I had nothing else going on, so I did. Uh, I spent a couple hours with them at, uh, at my friend's house. Uh, we ended up going to a bar, shoot pool, hang out there for a little bit. Uh, all around had a pretty good time, uh, hung out for a good portion of the evening. Uh, well, near the end, it was getting time to call it a night and, well, I don't have her phone number anymore because, like I said, I deleted it last time, so gotta ask her for it, so move in with that, with that part of the conversation. And she completely flips out over the fact that I deleted her from my phone. She got all offended, um, and pissy, petty, so much, so much that the last half hour got so unbelievably awkward. I just ended up leaving with nothing. Never even got her phone number. It just got so awkward. And what a dumb, what a dumb thing to be upset over, especially if we were having a good time up until that point. I just, I just don't get it 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 does it doesn't make any sense to me i'm I'm still baffled that you could get so upset over that that I deleted her phone number because she basically blew me off and told me that she was gonna work things out with her husband and you know there wasn't gonna be anything with me and her so why would I keep her number well apparently she kept my phone number and uh expected me to do the same I guess i don't I don't know people are. People are aggravating. Dating is so aggravating. It's so aggravating to me. Especially these types of games. Like like I said, what a stupid, petty thing to be upset over. Maybe, maybe I'm in the wrong. I, I don't know. Um, you know, a lot of friends of mine tell me that I need to just stop looking for someone and someone will just come into my life. It'll just happen when it's unexpected. You know that that uh, that theory right there—that things just happen when you don't look for them, or you find things that you aren't looking for. Things, those types of ideas. And I do find some truth in that. But one thing I'll say is that, um, you know, I do I do all this Tinder or these stupid online dating things or whatever. You know, looking for someone or whatever. However you wanna however you wanna put it. Uh, but the situations that I've had in the last couple years that I actually was interested in someone or I had a good thing going or, you know, something something like that, those were situations that I wasn't looking for. So I'm basically taking these people's advice, if that makes sense. One person I I, I met randomly at work, just out of the blue, and... I don't know this was probably 6 8 months ago something like that and thing we hit it off really really well for a period of time I really liked her she liked me at least I thought she did it just kind of ended up tapering away you know and then this situation here was a friend of mine trying to set me up so neither neither situation that got close to developing into something was me looking it was a situation being put in front of me. So when people say, "Well, you know, you need to stop looking," these are these are situations that I wasn't looking for. That's kind of my point, I guess. And nothing ever works out. It's aggravating. It's aggravating. This friend has um, tried to be a, like a wingman. She's you know wing wing woman, I guess for me in the past. And you know, we've gone out to bars or whatever. And she's tried to set me up with someone that we meet in a bar and things like that. And um, so she texts me after last night ends, and says that all of us need to go hang out again. And I was like, why? Do you, why would I hang out with her again? She got so pissed off over the phone number thing. And at first, I kind of thought it was like she was like, jokingly upset that I didn't have her phone number that I deleted like I thought it was just part of like one of those little like little games type of thing like to be cute type thing you know and then I realized that it wasn't when I actually ended up not getting her phone number and that was the end like I said it stayed super awkward and I, I ended up never getting her number back so why would I want to go out with this girl again she's clearly not interested in me at least you know, if she was, if she wanted me to call her, she wanted me to text her, she would have made sure I had her number, which I obviously don't. So the, the friend now is saying, well, I still think we all need to go out, and I'm just going to be wingman for, for both of you and find both of you dates. And I'm like, now hold on, wait a second here. So the girl that you tried setting me up with, you want me to go out with her again but not to try to get with her, just to go out so that you can find each of us a date while we're out at some bar. Does that make any kind of sense to anybody? I don't, I don't think it does. it does. It doesn't to me anyways. Because here's, here's how I look at this. My opinion, being in the dating world for a period of time that I have been, I think it's a lot easier for a girl especially a halfway decent-looking girl, to go into a bar and find herself a date if she wants one. It's not hard. I think the challenge is more for guys to go into a bar and try to find a date. So if the three of us go out, you know, one wingman for both of us, she's going to have a lot better luck finding a guy for this girl than she would finding a girl for me. So what's going to happen is we're all going to go out. She's going to get set up with someone, maybe go home with him. And I'm pretty good chances of really not finding anyone. So I watch the girl that I failed with go get another date and get set up. And I'm just like dead end. I I don't, I don't, I don't. Maybe I'm overreacting because this was just the first time we met. It's not like this is some serious breakup or something. but I just think that's super weird. Why would I want to go in that situation? I just I don't I don't get it. So that's that. That's my rant uh, for <laughs> in that topic. Uh, moving on. My parents are coming out to Las Vegas in about a week. Uh, they live in Milwaukee where I was born and raised. That's where I'm from, my whole family from uh, Milwaukee area. I get to see them a couple times a year. They come out once or twice a year. I try to get home once or twice a year. My daughter is their only grandchild, at least for now. Uh, Come September, they're going to have another one. My sister is in her third trimester. But for now, mine's the only one. So obviously they try to see her as often as they can. And she's really at that uh, that real fun age right now. Terrible twos, going through potty training, she's got that little attitude, uh, all that uh, once in a lifetime stuff when kids are that age. I mean, I guess to be fair, I guess for for a girl, the terrible twos kind kind of come back and surface throughout different ages. Uh, that never really goes away uh, terrible twos turns into snotty teens, terrible twenties, uh, what, whatever. Uh, but if I can help it, that hopefully won't be what happens to my child. I want, I'd like to think that I'll raise a, a respectful young lady who doesn't have that little attitude as a teenager, but who am I kidding? Honestly? I mean, that's just, that's just a phase that all kids, I think, especially girls, but all kids go through. Uh, I, I mean, I know I went through uh, a phase like that. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I was a complete asshole as a teenager. I obviously struggled with getting along with my parents, at least, but um, I think boys are easier at that age, and and girls are the tough ones, and maybe that's just my naive opinion. I mean, who knows? For me, when I went through that age, I pretty much just went through a phase of Trying to find up, find myself, figure out who I was. Um, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm still kind of in that phase. Obviously, girls tend to be the ones that go through that phase of being snotty. I think. I, I don't like. I said I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of talking because I don't, I don't really know. I haven't, I haven't been there personally, so I, I don't know. I don't, I don't even have a son, so I guess I'll never even really be able to compare teenage girls to teenage boys. From the parent perspective, because I don't, I don't have a son, but my two-year-old daughter has already found her attitude, and she, she obviously pushes those limits to see what she can get away with. Uh, well, anyways, I'm, I'm kind of bouncing off on tangents here. My parents are coming out here, and that stresses me out uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, I've, I have history with my parents. You know, one of the reasons I ended up coming to Las Vegas, in some ways, was to get away from them, and now that I'm here, I mean, I do miss them. I do get homesick quite a bit, actually, but going through my life, my upbringing, my young adult life, I clashed with them a lot. I clashed with them a lot over my career, over my marriage, my divorce. They didn't want me to get married. They didn't want me to get married as young as I did. And then once I was married and it didn't work out, they didn't want me to get divorced. And then once I was going through the divorce, they didn't want me fighting battles in court. Okay, they they thought that that was too much hostility, and they thought I was throwing gas on the fire. When in reality, the way I look at it is I was fighting a legal battle that I was forced into because my daughter's mom wanted to take her away from me. I wasn't fighting a battle to take her away from her mom. She was fighting the battle to take her away from me And I was merely trying to defend my right to be a father. But my parents didn't see it that way. My parents are old school. They're very traditional. They're very uh, forgive. They're uh, They're very much about not getting divorced. So much so that there wasn't even any communication between us for a period of time. It would get to the point where... I just wouldn't talk to them because everything that I would say would be met with, you know, if I would, if I would tell them something about what, what my ex did or what she's saying now in court or what she's doing, it would be met with a response from my parents. Well, you just got to realize that she's angry. She's just upset. I don't care how upset she is over the fact that our marriage failed. What gives her the right to try to take my kid away from me? And, I, and that's one of the things about divorce that always baffles me. Just because we didn't work out as husband and wife, why do you think that has any bearing on what type of father I am? Why do those issues become conjoined? A divorce is about the husband and wife relationship failing. The mother-daughter or the father-daughter relationship has nothing to do with that. And some people look at it and they're like, well, that's not entirely true because the type of husband you are reflects on the type of father that you are, and the two are linked. I completely disagree. I completely disagree because I'll be the first to sit here and say that I was nowhere near a stellar husband. I didn't cheat on her. She cheated on me, but I wasn't a stellar husband I wasn't the best husband I could have been. I was young. I made a lot of mistakes in our marriage. I made a lot of mistakes that contributed to the affairs and the eventual divorce. I was the one that gave up and didn't want to fix anything. And I was the one that called it quits. And I'll take responsibility for those things, for those decisions, those actions, the decisions that I made. But why does any of that have any type of bearing on what type of father that I'm going to be? Or what type of father that I am? I wouldn't call myself a world-class father, best father of the year, father of the... Anything like that. But what right does the fact that my marriage failed give her to try to take my kid away? And how would that benefit a child? I mean, there's all kinds of studies on... What happens to children that grow up in fatherless households? There's all kinds of studies on defiance rates, dropout rates, arrest rates. People that don't have that positive male role model in their lives. So, I I butted heads with my parents on, on those issues a lot because... They believed that I was making a number of mistakes. And when they would come out here, they would spend time with, uh, with my ex. We didn't live together. But they would still fly all the way here and then want to go spend a day with her. Sometimes it was when she had their granddaughter... So if they come here to see their granddaughter, I'm not happy about them going over there. But I can understand it. They're here to see their granddaughter. And if granddaughter's with mom, then they're going to go see mom. Okay. I I can be okay with that. But there were times that they would come out here. Granddaughter would be with me. We'd all be hanging out at my house. Me, my daughter, my parents. And my parents out of the blue would be like, all right, we're going over to see... Olivia's mom. Are you freaking kidding me? Why? They were in contact with her all the time. They, they talked to her uh, more often than they talked to me. It was crazy. It was crazy, and it alienated my relationship with them to an incredible degree. My relationship with them was already rocky. Like I said, the whole reason, well, not the whole reason, but part of the reason that I ended up in Las Vegas to begin with was because of a rocky relationship with with my family, and specifically my parents. Like I said, they questioned my career choice. They questioned every major life decision that I ever made. Career, marriage, divorce. Trying to keep my child. They haven't really backed me on any of those major life decisions until after I made it and I stuck with it. I'd make a decision like, I am getting divorced with or without your support. This is happening. And it wasn't until long after that process was over and done with, and I was starting to move on and get over the pain that that caused, it wasn't until after all of that that they came out in support of that decision. But they weren't there during those difficult days. And that was that's that's tough to not have your parents support during some of your hardest times. So it stresses me out when they come out to see me because something always comes up even now. Even now that they are mostly in support of the way my life turned out. At least to the point that they're treating me like he's our son, we're going to love him no matter what. I feel like that at this point. But even still, if there's a little minor conflict between Olivia's mom and me, they, they still immediately jump to her defense. Or if there's something to do with time that Olivia's supposed to be with me and there's some type of conflict or argument over that or whatever, a lot of times my parents will be the ones to, to tell me to just let that go or let her have her way and things like that. And it's like, wait a second, no, that's not how this works. I fight battles with her. Because I have to. Okay, the battles that I fight with my child's mother are not because I'm petty. They're not because I care about an hour of time in a, in a disagreement over an exchange. It's because I fight those battles because she initiates the battle. And if I back down, my relationship with my daughter is what suffers. Not my relationship with my ex. My relationship with my ex ex is in the shitter. And it's not coming back, at least not anytime soon. The point that I'm at now, I couldn't care less about my relationship with her mom. I wish I did. I wish I could have a good relationship with her. And I would try to. But when we're talking about arguing over... Over a a small amount of money, 7 or $8, for a pair of shoes or something. She buys a pair of shoes for my daughter and expects me to pay for half of them. So she asks for $7 or something like that. And so you might sit there and say, well, just pay her the $7 and that'll shut her up. And sometimes I do that. I, I do that sometimes. But other times I'll fight it and I'll be like, no, I'm not doing that. I pay her over $300 a month in child support. I pay her $300. So listen to this. (laughs) Now I'm going to get on a soapbox. Wasn't planning to even talk about some of this, but now I'm kind of on a little bit of a rant. Get this. My ex and I do the exact same career. The exact same career. I make slightly more than her because I've been doing the job longer but we still do the exact same job. Another part of the reason that I make a little bit more than her is because she works day shift and I work night shift. And I work a little bit of overtime and she doesn't. So a lot of the money that I earn that's above and beyond her paycheck is not because of any any reason other than I work more hours And I work a shitty shift while she works a nice shift. Other than that, like I said, exactly the same job. I have our daughter four days a week. She has our daughter three days a week. And yet, I pay her child support. $300 a month. Over $300 a month. Does that make any fucking sense? But if I'm a day late on child support, let's do the first of the month. I pay it online. I pay it online using a, an application called Pop Money, if you've ever heard of that. It's a it, you're basically sending money via text message. You can you could just type in someone's cell phone number then and send them money, and then they'll get a text with instructions for how they go online and put in their, you know, their bank account information and the money will be routed directly into their bank account. It's all it's all traceable. It's all secure. And it's perfect because I can keep track of things like child support payments or medical payments that, that we split, things like that. So I pay her child support with that because I know that uh, that it's traceable rather than paying her cash and having her say I never paid her or something like that. So here a couple months ago, this is probably two months ago now, I paid her... Uh, I paid her on like the 30th, right before the next month. But then there was a weekend, so you know, bank bank holiday, something like that. And the money didn't get deposited to her account instantly. Because it takes a few business days from when you send that text. It's like a transfer, a bank transfer, which surprisingly the way technology is today, those things don't happen instantly. It still takes two to three business days, which is freaking baffling to me in this day and age that our technology still still requires those ACH automated clearinghouse transfers, those things that those stupid bank transfers take multiple business days to process but whatever. So long story short, that money didn't end up in her account on the first. it didn't get there till like the second but I had sent it before uh, before the uh, be- before the end of the previous month. She, so she texts me the night of the first, so it's not even technically late at that point. She texts me the night of the first saying, where's my child support money? It's, it's, it's freaking aggravating. It's freaking aggravating and it's annoying that I even have to pay child support. And like I said, she does not need it. She doesn't. She has her daughter 12 days a month on average. And she makes over $60,000 a year. Why do you need my money? Not to mention she also has a live-in boyfriend who also makes a fair amount of money. Between the two of these people who live in this one house, along with my daughter, and his kid, he has a kid also. Between the two of them, their household income is over $100,000 a year. Easily. Easily over 100000 Mine is not. And I get the logic that, you know, his income doesn't come into play because it's not his financial legal responsibility to support my child. It's mine. I get that. It's not his responsibility, but by living with her and contributing to that same household, I feel like the court should recognize that he is assuming that responsibility he shouldn't have to, but he's not being forced to live there because he's choosing to live there. At least a portion of, of his income should be considered because their household income is way higher than mine, and yet I have to pay child support to them. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And when I try to explain stuff like that to, to my parents or if I vent to them about the fact that she... Bitched and whined that her child support payment was, like, literally a day late due to those bank that bank holiday or whatever whatever it was. I I complain to them or I make a comment to them and they, like I said, they just immediately jump to to her defense and that, like I said, that's very aggravating. It's very aggravating because it's a touchy subject for me. It's one of those subjects that really bothers me. And it is what it is. So there's nothing I can do about it. So I need to just let it go. And that's why I just try to avoid even communicating with them about those issues. And and that's why you know, that's why it stresses me out that, that they're coming out here. I'm happy to see them. I'm sure it'll be a good time. I'm glad that they get to spend time with with my daughter. She misses them, you know. We FaceTime, and she she likes them and likes seeing them and playing with them. And obviously, they're great with her, and they they love spoiling her. You know, it's all in all, it's a good thing. It's just it's gonna increase my blood pressure during the week that they're here. I already know it, and that it stresses me out. It makes me a little anxious for for that visit coming up. The best thing I've learned is to if you realize that if you can't control other people's reactions, then then don't worry about them, which obviously is not easy for me to do because all I do is sit around being hypersensitive to everyone's reactions to everything. So that makes it difficult. So then what I end up doing is just shutting down and not, not sharing those, those stories or not sharing uh, how I feel with them. There's plenty of families out there that are more dysfunctional than mine. I know that. I'm not trying to say that my family is like incredibly dysfunctional. I know that my specific relationship with my parents has always been on rocks. It's always been rocky. It's always been difficult for pretty much as long as I can remember. Mostly from my end, uh, mostly from my end, uh, the way that I handle those types of situations, uh, whether it's because of my experience with them, whether it's how easy it is to upset me. Uh, I, I can blame borderline personality disorder, or I can just blame the fact that, you know, it, it is it is what it is, regardless of the reason, it is what it is. There's nothing that nothing that I can do about it other than trying to check it as best as I can, realizing now at this point you know, two weeks away from them coming or whatever it is, two weeks away, realizing that it's going to be a long week while they're here, but also just trying to realize that there's a lot of good in them coming, like I, like I just talked about, you know, my daughter's excited to see them, they're excited to see her, and just trying to facilitate that as best as I can. And then realizing... During that week, realizing and remembering that when they're gone, their last day here, when I'm driving them back to the airport so that they can fly back home to Wisconsin, that's difficult for me. It's difficult for me to. It's difficult because I don't want to say bye to them because I, I, maybe now I'm at a point in my life where to a certain degree, I regret some of the reasons that brought me out here to Las Vegas. Not to the degree that I'm going to pack up and move back. I have too much here in Las Vegas now with my career, with my uh, daughter being tied to here now that uh, her mom is here and tied to here and not willing to go back to Wisconsin. There's there's no way that I would leave now in the situation that I'm in. But I do wish that... Six years ago or seven years ago, that I would have handled things a little bit differently at home, so that I wouldn't have had to run away uh, to Las Vegas. It's a lesson learned. It's it's a lesson learned, and uh, as much as I'm as much as I am happy over the way that my life turned out, there's there's a lot of things that uh, that I I wish I had handled differently. But I want to be careful to emphasize that that doesn't mean it's uh, it's regret. I said earlier that I regret some of the reasons that brought me to Las Vegas. That doesn't mean that I regret the decision to do that, if that makes any sense. You have to be careful to live your life not in regret. Because things happen for a reason. And I'm not religious. I've talked about that before. I don't believe in fate. I don't believe in anything like that. But everything still has a purpose. When I look back over my life, like for example, when I tell people the story of of my marriage and I tell them how many times that she cheated on me, how many times I forgave her, how many times I stayed with her despite the fact that she continuously cheated on me, a lot of times the question is, well, why did you stay with her? Why did you stay with her? Why didn't she just leave? And Or do you regret not leaving? And you know what? Every Like I said, everything happens for a reason. Because if I had left her after the first or second time she cheated on me, I wouldn't have a daughter. She would not exist. My life would be completely different today if she was not a, a part of it. If, my, if I didn't stay with my ex as long as I did, my life would be completely different. I probably wouldn't be in Las Vegas. I definitely wouldn't have a daughter. Uh, who knows if I would have ended up with someone different, if I just would have been single into my late 20s like I am now. Who knows? But when you start regretting certain decisions that you made, that's when it, it starts to turn into uh, something that's going to lead you down a dark path of, of depression. So I have to be really careful that I don't regret any of my decisions. Because the, the past is what makes you who you are today. All those past decisions, good and bad, you know, I learned from all those things, whatever. I would never go through that, again, if I end up with someone else and she cheats on me, I'm never going to put up with what I put up with in the past. I'm never going to put up with that again. I learned from that. doesn't mean that I regret it or that if I had another chance to do it over, that I would do it any differently because it still brought me to who I am right now and where I am in life right now, which overall I, I like. I like where I am in life. I like the life experience that I have. I think I have a lot of life experience. So there's a difference between regretting your decisions and and learning from those decisions and experiences. Last week I said to you that uh, good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. So always remember that. That doesn't mean that you regret things, though. I want to talk just a little bit about some of the distractions in life. Um, I did a midweek update a couple days ago talking about looking at your your typical day and trying to see what, what type of distractions you have during that day. 24 hours is a long time. Okay. And at the end of any day, I know a lot of us go to bed at the end of the day or we sit down or whatever and we kind of ask ourselves, where did this day go? It went by so fast. Because our days are packed so full with so many things that we just try to pack too much into one day. And some of those things can be removed, I think, because I could prove to you that 24 hours is a long time simply by telling you to sit in a room with nothing in that room, uh, turn turn the lights off, and just sit there for 24 hours. That's a fucking long time. I promise you that you would not enjoy that. I was watching a, a little Netflix documentary. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yesterday I watched just one episode of... Uh, It was a documentary on prisons and uh, solitary confinement and some of the psychological effects that happen to a person after they're in uh, solitary confinement in a prison. And the, the premise of the show was kind of that they didn't directly say it, but what I was gathering and what I think they were trying to... Their subliminal message, kind of their their hidden message, there was that solitary confinement is, is a, almost a, a form of cruel and unusual punishment, especially the the way that just being in solitary confinement for a few days can can affect someone. And a lot of times, when they go to solitary confinement, you know, for fighting in a prison or uh, trying to trying to uh, 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 smuggle contraband in or anything like that. Like for example, there was one one story that they had on there where a guy was found. Uh, with a cigarette inside the prison. So obviously that got smuggled in somehow, and he was sitting in, sm- in his cell smoking a cigarette. Not a violent person, not a violent infraction, uh, you know, didn't, wasn't trying to hurt anybody else, he just wanted a cigarette. Which, you know, I get it, that there are rules inside a prison, and you, well, that's one of the rules is that you can't smoke. So he w- was given uh, 30 days in solitary confinement for that action, and the like I said, the premise of the documentary is that that was a form of cruel and unusual punishment because this guy is confined to a room, a little cell, a small cell, for 23 hours a day. And the only thing he has in that cell is at night, they give him a, a, a small mattress, like a cot mattress, and a pillow, and, and one sheet. And he only has that at night, so they, I think they said they bring it into his room at 930 at night, and they take it back out of the room so that you don't even have that during the day. They take that out of the room at whatever time, 6 a.m. or something, so you get eight and a half hours with that mattress. Other than that, that is that is it. I think they're given one one religious item, so like a Bible or something like that, if he wants to read, read a Bible, and uh, hygiene items like a toothbrush, toothpaste. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Food, obviously. They give him food but you know not not anything special there and and then that's it there's there's nothing else you just sit there and I'm thinking for 30 days no windows even he has no idea what time it is can't tell if it's if it's daytime nighttime he has no idea how close he is to that 9:30 when they bring that mattress in you know until they open the door and they bring the mattress in it's crazy to me to think about it's crazy to me to think about What And and like this documentary talks about what that does to a person. But back to my point here, 24 hours one day is actually a lot of, there's a lot of time in that day. And this solitary confinement, when you think about it, that can illustrate for you exactly how much time there is. Because there is a lot of time in a 24-hour period. So what do you do during that 24-hour period that makes you think at the end of it that this day just went by so fast and there's, there's just no time left, that the day got away from you or, or whatever. So I'm thinking maybe running errands, cleaning, uh, these house chores, things like that, all kinds of things that, that we do during our day. And then think about the little uh, the dumb things that we fill our day with, those, those distractions like social media. Yeah, put out an episode a, a couple weeks ago on the dangers of living in this information age and this technology age and how much we depend on a on a cell phone and I've I've talked a couple times now about how stressed out I was during a 4-hour or 5-hour period whatever it was that I didn't have a working cell phone. And that really opened that really opened my eyes more so than any other experience, I think, because I've I've been told several times before by family or by friends, just kind of in a joking matter that I'm I'm on my phone a lot, and you know that never really bothered me. It didn't bother me, or it didn't really open my eyes to it until I had I was forced to go through that period of time with without it, and it was it was shocking. So now I make it a goal to go through one hour a night when I'm watching Sons of Anarchy that I put my phone on Do Not Disturb because that allows me to separate myself from that distraction. So what can you do to get rid of some of these distractions? Well, number one, you need to find out what those distractions are. Mine was clearly a cell phone. Texting, and a lot of the texting, like I said, was, was pointless banter. A lot of it's work-related, but a lot of it's just banter. If I limit my time on my phone so that when it buzzes... I don't just immediately pick it up because I don't don't need to just immediately pick it up. A text is a text. A text can sit there for a little while. Same with a a message on social media or a notification on social media. That can sit there for a while. I can limit my time on social media to an hour or two a day to where I'm going to go through those notifications. I'll go through those messages and I'll knock them all out all at once. And then I'll close Facebook for the rest of that day rather than every time I get a notification, pull out my phone and look, because that's a distraction. So I had to turn notifications off on my phone for those types of things, for Facebook or for Facebook Messenger, I turn those notifications off so that if I'm in the middle of something, I don't get distracted. If I'm at the park with my daughter, I don't have to worry about getting a Facebook notification and then stressing about what it is and do I need to look, and and if I don't look, then it's going to be in the back of my mind and I'm not going to be focused on my daughter and the playground and... So then it turns out to, well, I might as well just look so that I can find out what it is, so that I can put it out of my mind again. So I open my phone and I look. My daughter's playing on the slide and trying to talk to me and trying to get my attention, and I'm sitting there on my phone. Well, that's not acceptable. That's not what I'm at the park for. So I have to silence those notifications. And I have to find time to take care of them. So... Like I said, number one, figure out what those distractions are. Figure out what is consuming your time in the form of those types of distractions. I'm guessing that for a lot of listeners out here, that is going to be social media. Or something similar. So if that's a distraction, number one, identify it as a distraction. And then number two, rather than removing it from your life... You have to designate certain time to deal with it. If I sit here and tell you to treat social media like an addiction that you need to remove from your life, and I tell you to delete social media, get rid of Facebook, deactivate your Facebook page, any of those things, for a lot of you, that won't be successful. I mean, look at things... Like when people try to quit smoking or they try to quit drinking, you know, things like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. Look at those challenges that those people go through trying to quit one of those addictions. It's not easy. A lot of people that even make the decision to be done with social media and they delete their Facebook or something. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had a friend say that they were done with social media and they deleted it or deactivated it only to reactivate it less than a month later because they're like, nah, I want Facebook back. So rather than me sitting here and telling you that you should delete those things and deactivate it and never use Facebook ever again, rather than treating it like an unhealthy addiction, treat it like what it is, a distraction. Something that distracts your attention when your attention should be on something else. So like I said, when I'm at the playground with my daughter facebook would be a distraction so rather than just being extreme and getting rid of facebook altogether it's easier for me to just say okay i will be on facebook or i will allow myself to be on facebook for a period of two hours a day not gonna just sit on facebook for those two hours but the only time that I will look at Facebook notifications or get caught up on whatever I miss during the day will be between 10 p.m. and midnight, we'll say. So I pick a time that I know that I can allow myself to focus some attention on Facebook. 10 p.m. to midnight because my daughter goes to bed somewhere between 9 and 10, 10.30, somewhere in there. So then that way, Facebook is not dominating my time while I should be paying attention to my child and being a parent. So again, rather than treating it like an addiction that you need to cut out of your life, you just have to divert the time because then throughout the day I don't have all these distractions. I I don't mess around with Facebook during the other hours of the day. The next thing you need to do is figure out what other types of activities are healthy alternatives to making sure that you're focusing on yourself? Because things like Facebook or social media and I keep using that as an example because that's a perfect distraction for me in in my mind. That's the number one distraction in my life is social media. So that's why I keep using that as an example. But what other healthy alternatives can I introduce into my life to focus on me? Because social media doesn't focus on me. Social media focuses on essentially fake or imaginary interactions with other people. It doesn't do anything for myself and for my own personal identity. So what other things can I do for my own Personal identity and one of the best things I think is physical activity health related things working out going to the gym for me it's running I love running I try to find an hour a day that I can just go run and I turn the distractions off I don't deal with any type of phone texting, Facebook, nothing. Put that shit on, do not disturb, put my music on, and I go for a run. I'm alone I'm alone with just my thoughts while I'm running. Just my thoughts and my music in my head. And I'm thinking about whatever is going on in my life at that time, it's a time to decompress. The other big one that I've talked about before is is sitting down and, and writing. Some people like to read, but if you're reading, you're not really focused on on yourself. You're focused on whatever the book is. It's like sitting down and watching TV. Your mind is not creating anything. You're just observing someone else's creation when you're watching TV or you're reading, or not that those things are necessarily bad. Like I said, one of my decompressing activities recently is watching Sons of Anarchy. I'm becoming very quickly obsessed with that TV show. But that TV show doesn't do anything for me and myself and my personal identity and who I am. So the way that I figure out who I am, or I focus on who I am, is through writing. It doesn't have to be anything spectacular. It doesn't have to be a Freaking Shakespeare novel doesn't even have to be in story form or paragraph form. Sometimes I just write song lyrics, just writing about emotion. Not even, and like I said, not even just, uh, not even like in in paragraph form or like I'm telling a story. You know, sometimes I do, but not always. Sometimes, for example, if I'm feeling angry pull out a notebook and I write down the word anger. I'll write, I'll start writing synonyms for anger. I'll write angry, mad, upset, irritated, and then I'll start writing definitions for those words. And I'll start comparing and contrasting those different words. The difference between being angry and being upset is I can be silently upset, but I can't be silently angry. I can be internally upset, but when I'm angry, it's an external display of emotion. So I'll start writing simple things like that. And as I go through that activity, I'll fill a page after page about different things that have to do with being angry or being upset or irritated or whatever feeling I'm feeling at the moment. And after I do that for a few pages, it's an outlet that gets that feeling out of my mind and onto a piece of paper and indirectly it kind of makes the anger subside if you've never done that before try it I've talked about that on the program before that self-expression and no one even ever has to read it part of me wishes that I saved a lot of these notebooks that I've filled over the years I've filled so many of them And part of me wishes that I had saved them, but I don't. Because after I finish one, sometimes I'll go back and read parts of it, but very rarely, very rarely. Usually, I'll just write it and I'll I'll turn the page to the next blank page, and that's it. I don't go back to that page. I never go back to it. I fill the whole notebook, and then I use it as a starter in my fire pit. And I'll burn it. Because it's gone. It's not in my mind anymore. This idea. uh, This idea of getting things out. Okay, so borderline personality disorder keeps emotions inside me. Tons and tons of emotions constantly swirling around in a fucking whirlwind, turbulent disaster. It's like a hurricane just moving from. point A to point B, destroying everything in its path. But it's all internal. It's all internal until I write it down and I get it out into the open because I can't express it to someone else. At least not without damaging some type of relationship or making them just think I'm completely fucking nuts. That's why I don't like therapists. So... Try writing. Take 20 minutes a day and write. And tell me that doesn't help you. Because I think it will. I can almost promise you that if you take 20 minutes a day and pull out a notebook and sit in a a room by yourself, turn your phone off, turn every other distraction off, do it after your kids go to bed... Do it when you're not around your significant other, whatever. By yourself and find time. And and like I said, start with 15, 20 minutes a day. If you do that for a week, 15 to 20 minutes a day, I am very, very convinced that you'll be happy with the fact that you did that for a week. For a week. I'm not asking you to write 15 pages a day in a notebook. I might do that on some of my bad days. I'm asking you to start with 15 minutes. 15 minutes a day. Well, we're coming up on uh, the hour. I'm going to wrap this up real quick. Um, if you pay attention to our Facebook page, Third Degree Mind on Facebook... If you pay attention to that Facebook page, uh, over the next couple days, I'm gonna post a picture of the current little office that I have set up that I uh, record in, and it's a fucking disaster. I mean, I'm looking around. There's there's clutter everywhere. There's paper everywhere. There's uh, garbage everywhere. It's just it's just not been maintained. This this room was a little mini home office kind of thing. And it turned into a storage room where I would just put stuff. You know, I grew up in the Midwest and we had basements. We don't have basements here in Las Vegas. So this room kind of turned into what I used to use a basement for. I just have stuff everywhere. And I'm going to post a picture of it on the Facebook page in the next couple of days. And I just want you to see... I want you to see what it currently looks like, and I want what I want to do is start uh, start ma- start cleaning this up and make it into a little uh, a little mini studio, little recording studio type thing. Uh, I got you know I got a new new microphone, some new sound equipment for for recording this. I I think I've gotten rid of the audio glitches that we suffered from uh, a few weeks ago, so I think that's done and over with. At least I hope so. Knock on wood you know, I I was, I'm kind of, I'm kind of hoping, I, I, it, it's weird, okay, so let me, let me put this out here, I, I've spent the last week or so looking around online at pictures of podcasting studios and how people set them up, because it's, when you're, when you're, when I'm recording these things, you know, I, I have a rough idea of what I'm going to talk about, certain parts of it I I vaguely script out or I outline or, you know, I know what I'm going to talk about. But other times, like a lot of today, and maybe you can tell, maybe you could tell the difference that it maybe just turns into to rambling. Today, I had a very loose outline of topics that I wanted to talk about. And it kind of maybe turns more into rambling when I do that because I've got all this shit in here. And it's not a, it's not a like peaceful room. So I, I've, I've spent time... Looking at other studios to see how people set up their little recording studios. And one of the things that I noticed that caught my attention is a lot of people use these old uh, 80s or 90s style lava lamps and they record in the dark and they just have a little lava lamp going. It gets those like creative juices going, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know. What's the deal with the lava lamp? But the more I thought about it the more it was like oh that's interesting maybe I'll do something like that so I'm going to clean off my desk I'm going to clean up this whole room and I, I'm, I've i got a lava lamp on order from Amazon and I'm going to I'm going to set that shit up in here and and I'm going to do a before picture and I want some suggestions either on the Facebook page or or email borderline 750 gmail.com I want email or Facebook suggestions or something of the sort of of what i need to put in here uh to make this a little bit better of a uh of an environment to to record in and and all the like i said all the podcast tips and suggestions and how to's and all that stuff all that shit always says to to have a comfortable environment for where you're recording and to get those to to put your mind at ease and putting my mind at ease is not always an easy an easy task so that's kind of what I'm looking at. So if you have any specific suggestions or things I can hang on the wall, quotes, or, you know, those, those meme quotes that you can look up online, meme, not mean, M-E-M-E, meme, like a meme. I don't even know how else to describe that. And I've said meme so many times it just fucking doesn't even matter anymore. Find something that I can hang up in here. Find something I can put on the desk. Find anything that can make this place look a little bit better than what it does so keep an eye on the Facebook page look for that before picture and shield your eyes because like I said it is not anywhere near what I want it to look like but I'm going to develop this over the next couple weeks into something that uh, that we all kind of contributed to so I need some suggestions from you on that because I want I want this to be more than just my creation so that's that's what I need your help with over the next couple days, oh, over the next couple weeks actually, because this is not gonna be a, a two day job. That is for sure. I could even paint in here. The walls are brown, dark brown, light brown. I need to get different colors in here. Even. I gotta figure something out for this for this room to make this a lot better than what it is. So that's the plan. That's the goal. I hope you enjoy your weekend. Hope you have a great week coming up. Summer is here. It's in full force. It's freaking hot here in Las Vegas. Hopefully, hopefully uh you're excited for for summer wherever wherever you may wherever you might be. Hopefully it's not as hot as it is here. Cuz it's it's only going to get worse, my friends. It's only going to get worse. Have a great week. I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to Third Degree Mind. it's Jay creator and host of third degree mind podcast thanks for listening to today's episode I wanted to close really quick by reminding you that third degree mind is produced primarily for entertainment purposes and is not intended to treat or diagnose any mental illness and is not intended to replace clinical psychiatry I am not a licensed therapist or physician so if you feel that you need mental health treatment please always seek that appropriate care in your area if you're feeling actively suicidal please call 911 or take yourself to an emergency room if you're in the U.S. You can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255 or contact them using their online chat service at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And once again, they are available 24-7.